This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Disney get promoted back to the top flight and obviously it's disappointing but when you look back considering where the club's been for the last couple of decades you think well, what an effort you made of it and as you say you probably couldn't do any more because you pushed them to United and other teams in the division yep. as close as you possibly could. You moved to Kilmarnock in 1998 and I'm interested to ask you straight away was a move to the top flight just too good to turn down considering how hard you'd worked with Morton to try and get to the top flight? I think, and this will probably not please a lot of the Martin fans, I think because it was Kilmarnock was hard to resist as well, because um, I'd never made any secret of the fact I grew up a Kilmarnock supporter. I used to get taken to Kilmarnock games when I was four and five year old, so when they come in and it's, you see these guys holding up the boys for Cameroon saying, Man United's the only team I ever wanted to play for, I grew up supporting them when I was a wee boy, all that stuff, but I actually did. Um, and when they came in, it was A, my boyhood team, and B, as you say, playing the top flight. So you, you joined the club the year after the the one the Scottish Cup, and coming from Morton, obviously, I'm sure your time at Nottingham Forest, being around guys like Pierce and stuff, would have helped you with this. But you entered a dressing room with a lot of kind of big names: you know, Ali McCoy, Steen Duran, Gary Holt, Gus McPherson, just to name a few. Pat Nevin was there, but he ended up obviously leaving quite shortly after. What were those characters like? What was that dressing room like to walk into? Again, Durant uh, uh, and Coyste signed the same time as me, so they weren't there previously, so that kind of helped me probably because it, I just kind of sneaked in the back door where all the attention was on the two. Mm. Not just in the restaurant, but like for the press and right, stuff. So, stuff yeah. um, so it kind of helped me. I, I kind of knew the two of them before it, so it wasn't a big... And I'd played against, obviously, Gus and all them, Kilmarnock and I was at Morton, so you can I know boys just be playing against them. Um, but again, very welcome, just, you're all there for the same thing, you're all there, obviously you're there for each other's places, but you're all there to win games and be as successful as you can, so they, my first trip away, I think we were Germany, pre-season, it was great, they just accepted you. I spoke to Craig Brown recently and he went on about just how incredible a character McCoyst is to have. He was talking also from a national team's point of view, he just said he's the sort of guy he described him as a happy sub. And I know it sounds daft also because he wasn't a sub often in his career, but he described him as that because he wouldn't give, he wouldn't give you hassle in terms of I might be disappointed, but he'd still G the boys up around him and want the best for the boys. What kind of character was he at that stage in his career? Because obviously we see him on the telly and on talk sport now and I'll be honest with you, I just love listening to him, he's brilliant. Well, he's, he, everybody's got this impression that he was just coming to Kilmarnock to wind down his career and he was there just full of money and just a bit of a jolly up. Because he was still doing, I think he was still on Question of Sport at the time and he was still doing his media stuff, so he wasn't there training every day. But when he came into train, he trained. And there was a side to him that you wouldn't cross. There was a side that 
he wanted to win games. If anybody crossed him, he wouldn't be shying like him, no. Um, he, he was a great trainer and it was, it was brilliant for sea lights, uh, Jimmy Lachlan, a young centre half, playing against him in training, just learning, like, caused his movement, where they go, where they stay, and it was, for these boys, it was always an education. But, aye, there was the other side to him that he liked to laugh and a joke, and I used to travel with him, I, um, I was his travelling partner, and fair dues, he would pay the fine every day for us being late, because <laughs> we were late every day, in life, we were late for training every day, and Jerry McCabe would be standing at the back door, his hand out, and Coisty wouldn't even say anything, he would just give him the money and the twos would walk in because it was every day and he knew that but it was, it was brilliant, he was obviously great I mean I had him doing, I've had him doing at Cleats a few times him and Durante and by God Marshall and they just love him, the punters all love him it doesn't matter what team you support they oh, all, no, they all love him um, he's just got this charisma about him whereas Durante's a wee crab in the half but the two of them are great pals, they bounce off each other, so it was a good dressing room at that time because you obviously them, but as you say, you had uh, Wee Gus and uh, all these other boys, like Big Marsh throwing stuff in as well. So, but it was, it was quite a. When I'd first went there, it was that was when the squad's numbers had just come in. Right. So, Bobby named his strongest 11, and then number 12 was Colin Meldrum, the goalie. There was no 13 at the time, and I was 14 because I was the next oldest. Now, bear in mind, I was only 25. And then the dressing room went all the way down to like Bacon and Buck, who were still daft wee boys. <laughs> They'd already won the Scottish Cup, but that's how they were 24 and 25, their number. So it was quite a mix for Big Marsh all the way down. Then Coyce to come in, he took number 13, didn't bother him. First game of the season, home to Hearts, and he gets a hat trick. And you're just thinking that's that's quite <laughs> that's just that sums them up. But again, it's if he's lucky. If what is it he always says about he better be lucky than good. Sometimes if he's lucky to score the goals, then so be it. But he could score goals. It's like with McCoy, obviously in terms of his goal scoring. David Robertson, when I spoke to him, he described McCoy as he could fall into a barrel of shit and come out smelling at roses. Yeah. And that was just the way he was in the penalty box. He went. Most other strikers would maybe get a couple of chances and miss a few that he would go down. So he's not McCoy. Boy would, boy would come in, maybe he's missed two, he'll score a third and not even care about the two he's missed in terms of he knew he would score eventually. Is that what he was like? Never let him get it. Aye, it would never get him down. But so Coisty's career was coming to an end and you've got this boy called Chris Boyd <laughs> coming through the academy who is not this summer and he's goal scoring ratio and he's as you're saying, you missed two, but we get the third one. So you've got him finishing and him just coming, and it was that. In fact, Coisty's last ever game of his career was Boydie's come on for his debut, which is quite spooky that way. But in terms of goal scoring, the two of them were unbelievable. Was McCoyst willing to help guys like Boyd who were coming through at that uh, time and spend time with them and work with them? Coisty was great with the young ones. Um, not just the young ones, help anybody, but ah, you'd always have a time to, to go and help out because you can't, you can't be that, you'd be selfish if you're that good a player and that good a goal scorer and not to share it. Aye. Do you know what I mean? At least knowledge, so aye, no, it was good. Your first season with Kilmarnock, having joined there, was a very positive season, fourth place finish, 
team team flying considering they'd won a couple of years before. What was it like to play in that team that year? Well, I struggled a wee bit to get in the team because um, Bobby didn't think that me and Gerani could play together. He, he thought we are kind of similar, which I took as a compliment, but I wasn't going to get a game, so I wasn't that happy. <laughs> um, and he had people like Gary Holt, Ali Mitchell, Mark Riley around about uh, Gerani. But when I first went there, again, you're seeing a big step. So I went for Martin and I went to Kilmarnock and my first game was in Europe. Uh, played a Bosnian team, which is the car, we, so we, we flies out to Bosnia. Terrible. It was just, the hotel we stayed in was nice enough, but it was all like bullet holes and it was, the place was terrible and we weren't allowed to go ourselves and all this kind of stuff. So it was quite an eye-opener. And I think behind the, the ground we played in was like mass graves. It was just, again, it made you appreciate what you've got. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went out there and they drew one each from return leg I was fortunate enough to score so played in Europe scored so taking a couple of boxes there and then as the season kind of started I wasn't playing and I'm thinking but again you're at a bigger club which no disrespect to Martin but you're moving up a level and the players are maybe a wee bit um, more experienced and stuff so I just had to bide my time um, and I'll never forget, it was one day at Dundee. It was we Alec Burke was on the bench, and um, we Burke said after the game, I, me and Gerani were playing together, and the ball came out, the defender cleared it, and I've killed it for Gerani, and Gerani sat a shot just over the bar, and he says Bobby turned around to his assistants and went, oh, they two can't play together. <laughs> and ever since then, I was more or less in the team. Um, but it was great, I just loved it, because you're playing, you're going to Ibrox, and parkade on a regular basis and um, but at that time again you're going back to sound like in my day but in that time Dundee had a right good team as well they'd like like your Canadians and um, who's the boy Kitz for Newcastle he played in Dundee and Ravenelli came in at some oh, point these guys. so at that time Rangers were full international Celtic were full international so it was a right good league and you look now and you're thinking would they get a game back then? I'm not sure. In their respective teams. Mm-hmm. But back then, you're, you're looking. I mean, 99-2000, we went to Ibrooks and beat Rangers 3-0, which was unheard of. But they had a team just full of internationals. Like, um, Newman scored an OG that day. That's the kind of calibre of the player. Oh, like, so. like Arthur Newman and... Uh, do they have the Park? Is it two guy? Arteta, it was pe- play- maybe not Arteta, maybe it was after that time, but it was players like that, right, good players. Then you were going to um, Parkhead and it was like, Maravchik was the only person under six foot three, I think. <laughs> and they were standing in the, the tunnel and it was like Bobo Baldi and uh, Yul Fahar and Mia, uh, Jan Mialbe, Chris Sutton, John Hartson, Larson. That's a good team. That's a good team, so... It was, it was good, but see, going there, I, I, I get the, the buzz out of doing that. I was always like, I had this kind of daft superstition, I went to come out, I was always last out. I don't know if it came from Bobby making a sub, but I was always <laughs> last out, and I just kept, <laughs> kept the tradition going when I got in the team, but I was always last out, and when you got to, like, Parkhead, you could hear the captains going on the pitch before you'd even got there, to the back of the tunnel, 
it was loud and then they done the huddle and it was just like phew, couldn't hear a thing but it was great because that's again what we're talking about if you could get crowds like that every week at Capo that's what makes you want to be a footballer you want to test yourself against the best in front of a big big crowd and that's what moving to Kilmarnock achieved you mentioned there Celtic Park Ibrox also at Tynecastle Easter Road games at Hamden and whatever over your course of your career see the bigger the venue do you feel the better the occasion for you as a player in terms of looking forward to the game it's no not to be disrespect, uh, disrespectful but it's hard to raise your game going to Albion Rovers on a Tuesday night that's a fact when you're going to these places you're dying to get there you're dying to just get out and see like, who am I playing against put your wits against because they're playing the Rangers and Celtic for a reason good players they're doing it week in week out you're only doing it once every what, 11 games against them unless you get in the cup but you're wanting to see how good you are against them granted it wasn't that good against them but it gave you a chance to to see how kind of they played and their style and don't get me wrong we, we'd worked on all week to go to Parkhead and Ibrox and just sit in and spoil the game and it was kind of um, let's see if we can maybe hit in the break and get nick a wee goal and stuff Andy done it McLaren done it at Parkhead one day I always wind him up because I passed the boy it was a five yard pass and <laughs> he's ran on and hit this thing for about 25 yards off the underside of the bar what a goal but it's good. The, the feeling you get when your team scores against the old firm is it's great you mentioned there obviously testing yourself against those players. You mentioned the game, you win 3 nothing at Ibrooks. Is that sort of game you came away from just thinking, feeling invincible and feeling like pff, you can't really top that in many ways? I think the hardest thing is doing it again. Um, beating them again or maybe Celtic, beating them again. It's, but knowing you can do it and you think, right, how can we not do it the next thing? What's, what's stopping us? And I know these games are like, kind of maybe people look at them as freak scores and whatever, but as a team and as a management, you need to say, right, how did we manage to do it then and can we do it on a regular basis? Something that we didn't achieve that much. We should have done it more, the players that we had, but things go against you when you're playing the bigger stages against bigger teams, whether it's always maybe taking a wee bit of stage fright or making a mistake or just daft things that, that ultimately cost you games We mentioned obviously your manager was Bobby Williamson a guy who's known for for being a big character within the game what was he like to work with? Bobby was quite uh, Bobby was a castle boy he still is castle I can't remember but very down to earth and just like one of the boys it, if you went out for a refreshment, Bobby wanted to come away, <laughs> and you couldn't get rid of him. Um, but he would just, if he wasn't really a, a rant and a raver, he would if he needed, if he thought he had to do it. But Bobby was very, and we laugh about it, the boys that I used to play with Kelly laugh. At, uh, if you were winning, Bobby would open the dressing room door on a Saturday and say, uh, same team, same subs, and close the door. That was it. I think he'd done it in a bus once in the way in a way again. Same team, same subs. That's it. And that and it was winning it was working and we were winning, so he, he probably thought, why go into in depth if I don't need to? Why if it's if it's working, let's just stick it. As a player, did you always did you prefer a manager who kept instructions short, sharp and simple, or did you 
like a wee bit more in depth? I think it depended. They seemed to be when we played all firm for whatever reason. I get peeled out the cupboard, and Bobby would say, "Go on, my mark, Ronald de Boer." Right, cheers, Bobby. <laughs> Go on, my mark, Petrov. So, in the kind of instance, you would need a wee bit more info. But in general, footballers don't want a lot of information. Footballers only guys that want to sit and listen and like they get bored. They just want to go and play. And I think you've got a, a window of about six or seven minutes that you've got people's attention. And then they just... Like I said, now I think it's, it's very much um, big on the video analysis. And we, we used to say if we watched the game for a Saturday and a Monday, it was punishment. The boys would all be falling asleep and you're, you weren't that bored. And then you didn't get that much out of it, but now they clip the games and show you the stuff that you need to see and what they want you to pick up on, which is better because it, it shortens everything down. But no, if, again, if you're winning, you're doing well. Just go and play. In terms of that time under Bobby Kilmarnock, fourth place finish, ninth place finish, fourth place finish. And I want to come now to a massive moment for yourself at Kilmarnock and the club in general, the League Cup final. You come to against Celtic. Mark the new Celtic, obviously a team that we mentioned earlier, every player, very tall, great stature, good players as well. Get into that final against Celtic. Did you think you had a chance at winning? Were you set up to think, no, we're going to give us a go today and we're, we're as good as them on this day? Or were you get into it? Was it a case of trying to come up with a game plan to more or less stop them rather than think about how you could win the game? I think it was a bit of both, to be honest. I think there was, uh, you're playing against Rangers or Celtic, especially in a cup final, you need to be cautious. You can't just go out and go, right, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But you've got things that you need to put into play. Like, um, if we hit the attack, we're going to have so many players going in support and whatever. And to be fair, the first half, nothing each at half time, I'm sure. And we gave a good account of ourselves. And then Durant, he went off at half time injured. And it's no, I think it's Mark Riley come on, that's no disrespect to me, Mavis, but I think we thought we had a chance. And then, as daft as it sounds, when Durante went off, I think everybody kind of had his shoulders kind of went down and we lost a wee bit of belief. Because we were doing all right, we were kind of, I think we'd created a couple of I think maybe even get into their half once or twice, I think. <laughs> but, um, I think we're doing all right, and then again, as I say, Durant went off, and I think it was just a total kind of. And I don't know if that maybe looking back now, maybe Bobby kind of thought that as well, like reflecting in his kind of the way his kind of mannerisms we've got. I don't know, but it just and then of course Larson got a hat trick, which was always things you worry about. But again, great player, um, a great career, and if. It's not a, a kind of slant on us that a guy like that can score a hat-trick against you, can do it against, they've done it against a lot of big clubs, bigger clubs than us. Um, so obviously it was a bit deflating. I just remember lying in the bath after it and thinking, that, not a chance, will we ever get here again? And to be fair, we never. And don't get me wrong, we think we went to a wee Italian and Newton Mearns and had a good night. Um, just as a team, it was like one of the ones you think, well, we could go and everybody can go down the road and mop about it. And, but we, we didn't, we just all came together and enjoyed our night and kind of celebrated the achievement that was getting there. 
you mentioned obviously the brilliance of Larson in that cup final. Would, would he be the best player you've played against in Scotland? I think he's up there. I think I always look at probably midfielders because it's players, aye, players I've played against, but obviously played against Gascoigne and Loudrop. For me, I've got a lot of pals that are Celtic fans and I always say to them, Maravchik for me, doesn't get the, the credit. I think he deserves this way he does, but for me, in that team, I thought he was brilliant. I thought he made them tick. Any foot, go and take a corner with any foot and swing the ball in with any foot, hit a shot and just kind of run the show at times. Because you really any in Lambert in the Midway Park, they just kind of kept it simple and gave the ball to the likes of um, Maravchik. Um, you had Petrov just hitting the box, he didn't know when to stop running, which was a nightmare. Um, I, there's players like that that are really good players that you're actually privileged to play against. Well, we, in terms of you've mentioned there, the, the privilege to play against them, see, looking at Scottish football now, and it's not a slight in the current guys that are playing, because there's some tremendous players that have come through the league. You look at Tierney, who left last summer, you look even at Morelis at Rangers, Ryan Jack, there's, there's plenty of talent in the league. Um, now, but do you look back at the era you played in and just think that's just a different level in terms of thinking the money Celtic Rangers were spending then and the, the, the calibre of player? If you're to give me a choice, I would, I'm happy that I played my era. Because um, again, we're talking about Dundee having all the players as well. And, yep. um, even, I don't mean even, but like some Motherwell, Hibs, Frank Soze, and Pat Lynan, these kind of people, and we Russell Latipe. Yeah, great players and you could look at every team and probably pick out two or three and you think wouldn't mind having my team No, have we seen that I don't think so um, and don't get me wrong I don't I don't see a lot of, because I've got the wee ones on the 13s on a Saturday I don't get to see a lot of football um, in the flesh I get along when I can I, I'm, last time I was at Kaplo was a gaffer's 80th um, and we were all invited along to hospitality that day it was a great day Um but I don't get along to see games as much as I'd like. But when I'm seeing games, there's nothing, nothing exciting me. Nothing that's make me sit at the edge of my seat watching a game as such. Something I, I've spoken about this recently to, to my pals and just other people, people are playing stuff that are older than me. And one of the things that I, I, frustrates me a wee bit now watching the game, obviously I'm, I'm 24, but I feel that in the last sort of 10 years, I don't know, I just feel that, especially at the top level, since kind of your Javis and Yeste at the elite level have kind of went out of the game now in terms of retiring stuff, I just feel that the central midfield position is just not the same as it was. It's kind of changed a wee bit, I think it's more a... It's no like Gaza had the flair, Gaza could grab the game and just like Aberdeen, they scored a hat-trick, I think it was last game of the season to win the league, that was just Gaza doing what he does. Have we seen that? No really. It's not really a winner's game either. It's kind mm. of 4-4-2, a wide man. And don't get me wrong, Lee Burke doing a Comalix, doing great. Lee Burke's 35, 36 now, and he seems to get a wee second wind, and he's doing, doing great. But you don't see that as much now. Players willing to take It's quite kind of conservative. They want to keep the ball, and just nobody wants to make mistakes, and don't want to go forward. They're quite happy to go side to side or back the way, and don't go and take a chance. No, it's entertaining, I don't think, and it costs a fortune. Well, I think so as well. I think in terms of players that are kind of mavericks and kind of out there, you mentioned like Sozy and guys earlier on. I grew up and I kind of seen bits and balls from, but I remember watching just the clips and stuff. Like, seeing you look at a player like from down south, Matt Letissi, 
a guy like him just probably wouldn't play now because he's not, maybe you could say, not fit enough, doesn't run around enough, and he'd just be, be punted, even by the McCourt. It's Celtic, just that kind of old-fashioned player who's willing to take the ball, as you mentioned, Paul Gascoigne, like, take the ball, dribble with it, take people on and make something happen. I feel like now it's more about, as you've said, keeping the ball, being fit up and down the pitch. Whereas if you're, a, if you're a maverick, if you're somebody that's got that wee bit of a gold dust that maybe isn't the fittest and maybe not the sharpest but can produce that moment of magic, I just feel like that's kind of, as you say, it's been out of the game a lot. I'm not sure if managers are a wee bit worried because they don't get as... A manager's kind of career span now is very short. Absolutely. And if you're having to put your money on a guy who's going to be a 6 out of 10 athlete that's going to run up and down all day for you, or do you pick this guy here who might be a 10 out of 10 and he might be a 2 out of 10, but my job's mm-hmm. dependent on him. He might keep me in a job or he might get me sacked. Do you go with the gamble or do you stick with a guy that's going to just plod up and down? It's a hard one. It's a hard one, but... If I hear Mark Letizia's name once more, because Paul played Paul McDonald didn't do it to Sunderland, <laughs> eh, Sunderland, Southampton, well, <laughs> and every day it's Letiz, Letiz this, and like God, that's terrible. But he was a good player, to be fair. No Paul, Letizia. <laughs> Another Maverick you played with, who um, is somebody we both know well, is Andy McLaren. What was he like to play with? You played with him coming through as a youngster, but what was he like playing with him at command? I loved Andy. I just thought you didn't know what you were getting for Andy. You still don't. I mean, you, the phones you, don't know what the conversation's going to be, but um, Andy could go and take players on again. He was the kind of old fashioned type. Yep. Andy didn't look fast, but he could he could shift and he would give you goals. Um, great deliveries into the box. But having to listen to him in the dressing room was the worst part of the job because he just never shut up never sat down never shut up always had something to say but a good character Andy I think that's again what you're talking about miss people that's the biggest thing I miss is, is a dressing room just sharing a dressing room with boys and having a laugh and, and you're basically going in to kick a ball out your pals every day and get paid for it which you can't ask anywhere absolutely um, but no Andy's alright small doses <laughs> Your time, obviously, Kilmarnock under Bobby Williamson was was very positive, it was very good. You played in important games, you played alongside the likes of Durante, as you say, what a player he was as well. Bobby then le- leaves the club and, and Jim Jeffries comes in. Now, things kind of change for you in the sense that the club's still doing well, but your opportunities gradually as Jim was there over the piece kind of reduce a wee bit. What was, was there a, what was the contrast like between Jim and Bobby? Jim was... Jim and Billy come in, they were very much the kind of hairdryer type that you hear about. They, they liked a, a rant, a rave, and you'd have Jim. I didn't get it too much, to be honest, but you could see Jim shouting at players, and me, Billy, standing behind him, just shouting over his shoulder the same thing. And But that's what they were used to, and that's how they got the best out of the players. And to be fair, they brought a lot of players with them, like Lockie and uh, Fulte, Gary McSwiggin, Wee Hosey. But these boys had done well at Hearts. So he knew them and he relied on them. But when he came in, and to be fair, when he first came in, I was playing every week. I was still playing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got an injury. And I, I done the opposite knee to my cushion. So I done my left knee. And I don't know if it was wearing tear for all the years of protecting my other knee. Um, 
But I kept trying to play and trying to play. But I mean, um, I think I, I think I'd went in and got a wee scope done, and my cartilage was sliced. It was, and I always remember Alec McQueen, the physio, at the time, he's, he's back at command now, he's saying he's, he shouldn't be able to walk on that. Never mind, still be training, and it kept blowing up, and I couldn't get it, and I. I'd got a cortisone in it just to try and, and obviously after what the gaffer had been through all the cortisones, I was a wee bit weary of getting mm. my knees done. And um, I was due to go in for an operation. And I remember being in the gym and Billy coming in and he said to me, but what's this about the operation? I says, I need to go in and get my knee cleaned. He says, well, he says, we're short of players. He says, we, we need, and maybe me went, Right, okay, so I went along on a Saturday and that, I think I ended up Motherwell, we fouled, did Fowl get sent off? James Fowl got sent off and I ended up at right back, Motherwell away, I can't remember. And then I was due to go for another one, I put it off again, just to try and, because they were short of players and whatever. And it kept, just, I couldn't even, it kept swelling up and we played, I'm sure we played Hearts at our place and I couldn't move, I couldn't get about. And I get taken off at half time, I think that was the last game I played. And uh, at the end of that season, my contract had run out, and never forget, we all we trained down at a place, um, Auckland Crove, down in there, just now we didn't there, it was an uh, agricultural place. We were out kicking the ball, but before training, I was kind of joining in, and I think it was with your auntie, or somebody says, Gaffer wants you. So I went up, and I thought, well, I don't know what's going to happen here, because I'm out of contract, but I've maybe do another year just to see how it goes, because he kept saying to the physio, he says, tell him, his contract's not relying on us, just get his knee better, blah, blah, blah. And I went up and sat down and he says, um, I can't off you in I said, what do you mean? He says, no, I can't off you. He says, I've got boys here that are going to play in front of you. I was only 31 at the time, which isn't that old in, no, in nature. Yeah. Um, so he took me up and basically said, uh, what he said was, come back in pre-season if you don't get anything come back to pre-season if you impress me that then there might be a contract maybe it was a wee bit hasty or just my pride or that but I just said no you're fine and that was me I went out and trained because I thought I can't get my head in this it was just a wee bit of a blur and um, Durante obviously knew because as I say it's ruthless and fat boss award in a wee square and uh, two in the middle and I'd come back out and somebody shouted first pass is free Immediate auntie says, Don't mention the free word in front of Hoodie. Oh, cheers, me, man. <laughs> so that was me. That was me buying. Um, so I was without a club for the first time since I was 16, 17. Having made it come for that spell and having done well with the club, did, did that kind of treatment at the end just really rankle with you? I just thought, even if I'd <laughs> away, if they gave me a six month deal or a, a year just to see how I got on. But again, he, he probably thought he didn't owe me anything, which he didn't. I, he didn't. He didn't personally owe me anything. Um, and I had to respect that he thought those players were going to play in front of me. As it turned out, the players he mentioned, because obviously I still kept an eye, but the players, through injury and whatever, they hardly played either, the three that he'd mentioned. So it might have been different. But again, you just got to look forward. After that last season, as you say, in the way it ends, <coughs> and you have to move on, is it daunting? getting to maybe 31, 32 and not having a club because obviously when it comes to budgets and stuff maybe not so much back then more now but are you worried maybe sometimes as a manager who maybe going to give me a one or two year deal here 
or is it maybe going to go for somebody younger? Again, uh, depending on what manager's looking for, if they're looking for a bit of experience, then you're in. If they're looking for young legs that are going to run box to box, you're not in. <laughs> so, yeah, just every manager's different, but if, if you're building a squad and you can afford it, then you maybe bring in a young one and an older one just as a, a kind of compromise. When you leave Kilmarnock, in terms of that summer, how difficult was that summer for you? Very, it was very difficult. Um, I didn't really have any concrete as such. I had a couple of offers, but nothing, um, nothing that you could say, oh, I'm taking that. So I'd, I'd, Mark Donachie is an agent. Uh, I played with Mark at Martin. So I'd been on the phone to him and just says, look, you got in. Yeah. Meantime, I'd went over to Linfield and played a couple of games and again their manager said to me, I thought you were a box to box. So I was on the next ferry back home and then uh, I went up to Ross County. Jimmy Lachlan was there, Alec Burke, with Colin Stewart, mm -hmm. boys I'd known. Alex Smith was a manager, so I'd went up there and I stayed with Burke and I hadn't really done a pre-season. I'd done it on my own, but it's not, never the same when you do it yourself. And I'd went up there and um, I'd done the training, been involved, and Alex Smith took me in. He says, listen, with a lot of respect for Alex Smith, I thought it was great. He says, listen, see if you're coming up here, you need to come up. Everybody needs to come up. You can't come up yourself. You can't, because I had just had a wee fella. Just, my wee was the long ball. Uh, you need to come up. You need to bring them up. You can't have young boys, uh, guys like yourself coming up single as if they're a single guy, because I've had that before, doesn't work. Because obviously boys are going to choose the night if their wife's down the road, they're going for a pint and whatever. So that didn't really suit. At that time, we fell just started nursery and it was kind of settled, so that kind of fell through. Um, spoke to Mark, he says, I've got St Johnson. Right, no bother. So I was in Erskine at the time and I was driving through to St Johnson every day, which doesn't sound a big deal, but it was taking the traffic, taking about two and a half hours to get there. So I was leaving the back of seven. You're stuck in traffic and you're getting to Perth and you're, by that stage, I was like falling out the car. I was stiff, getting to training. You would train another two and a half hours back. So you're doing that. And I know we Midget done it, me Chris done it, and the right, but he's obviously younger and fatter than me. So can I go to the stage? I was there, but John Connors managed and I seemed to be signing everybody. It was like, hundreds of folk in the dressing room. <laughs> like, just all these bodies and Alan McGregor was actually in loan at the time Rangers goalie yep. was in loan at the time he, uh, Peter McDonald players like that so I was kind of in about it then I wasn't and he had that many options he wasn't really so it was getting to stage where on a Saturday at a game if you weren't in the strapped if you weren't in the 16 or whatever it was you would come in get changed and then go and do a 12 minute run and do laps before games no, that I'm anything special, but I just thought, right, I'm no part of the plans. So I phoned me, Marky, and he phoned me up and he says, look, Jim McAnally wants to bring you back to Morton. Brilliant. So, and they were training at Quarriers, which was 10 minutes for the house. So I says, right, I'm in. So that's how the, the, the third time, unluckily, came about as it worked out. You get back to Morton, as you say, third time, Jim McInerney this time, and it's... How different was it to your, your first and second spells with the club? Very different, because I was obviously one of the older ones, and I'd, um, 
a few of the younger ones you could tell again weren't delighted that I was there um, maybe a wee threat to them because I'd been away and played in SPL the last six years and European stuff and whatever came a wee bit so they were a wee bit looking at them going no I'm not really having him because he's maybe threatening my place which is fine I don't I don't mind that's good um, but I could just tell my knees weren't they weren't they right and I just wasn't they it's hard because you want to get to where you were when you left and <coughs> the fans that have been there remember what you were like possibly now I know I Never be a fan's favourite, wasn't it? A fan's favourite, Morton, and that kind of Rajamaki type thing, but I've done alright. But I wanted to come back and play at that level again, but I couldn't. I just, I was burst. So I knew, you know, you know yourself. I was just kind of seeing it out, and I was just doing mm-hmm. enough. And I was coming on in games for 10 minutes. I wasn't starting games really, and just, I was involved. And I was, ha- I was, I was happy just being in amongst it and helping as much as I could but I wasn't overly happy no playing you always want to play if you're a footballer and I remember we trained up Corriers one day it was really heavy the grass was just sinking into the grass and I, I remember moving and I've looked down and it was my my cruciate knee and it kind of popped a wee bit and I got the fright of my life it was kind of sticking out the side so I went up John Tierney was a fizz at the time and I went John what is that so he's put a bandage on it tight and says right come back tomorrow so I went back took it off and it popped back in but I was that stage and I was thinking nah this isn't for me I'll need to think about chucking it so it kind of had the decision made for me with my body telling me um, the question I'm interested to ask in that regard then in terms of the, the body telling you is the most frustrating thing as a player as you get older because every player comes to the end at some point Knowing that your mind knows what it wants to do, but the body just can't keep up anymore. Fortunately, I was never the fastest, so I didn't <laughs> lose any pace. But um, you just find that younger boys run you are getting a wee bit faster and fitter, and you're kind of slower to get to the ball and stuff. So I, it's not a nice feeling. It's um, it's quite hard to take when you think what you should or thought you could be able to do, and you can't. Um, and it kind of gets you doing a wee bit because you're thinking I used to be able to do that but again you just need to when you, now at this age when I'm sitting back and reflecting you go well I was that wee guy once I was the wee guy running about and tackling a John McNeil or a Jerry Ronald and when I was and they probably wanted to give me a slap it's just the same it's just a circle it's a, it goes round and that's, that's unfortunately that's bitter you just go to sit back and say right time's up you knew that time was up, as you say there, and when time's up in football, were you always interested in making sure you stayed in the game, whether it was coaching or, or management? No, I was a complete opposite. I'd actually went in the right big team puffy football and fell out <laughs> of it and did nothing. I didn't want anything to do with it. Um, oh, I had been told during my career for Bobby and what my dad and that thing, going to your badges while they're still playing, and I was going, Blazing saddles, we don't need no badges. And you'll not remember that you're too young for. So I didn't didn't do it. And um it, I remember after it Morton, um Jim McAnally freed me. And it was the biggest reality check in the world because I had nothing. Did not have a clue what I was going to do. 
didn't even think about it. Do you know what? I think as a footballer, you keep putting off and putting off. I'll, I'll, I'll do something, I'll do something. Um, I had nothing. Nothing at all. I actually went signed on. I did. At first, I didn't because it was a pride thing. And I was going, ah, I'm not going to sign. I'm not going to job centre. And everybody said, maybe you paid your dues here. So I'm in the job centre and the woman said, what kind of job do you want? And I'm going, eh, something to do with football or something. And she goes, is that what you want to do? I went, no, but it's the only thing I know. For the age of 16 to 32, it's the only thing I've ever done. And she's going, you don't really get many jobs in here, like football related, son. And I was going, I know that. So, um, aye, it's just a big, massive wake up. Is that something that the element of having to retire from football and as you say, knowing football your full life, when you come out of the game, as you say, for you it was an incredible reality check. Is that why you think many kind of former players maybe have their troubles with drink and stuff further down the line? 100%. 100%. And it's not until you, you start speaking to other people, like Andy, um, who did have his troubles to seek, but it's not until you, you can see when players retire or forced to retire whatever they're alright for a wee while everything's alright because it's they maybe get this but more so now I think there's more things for boys they're alright they're bubbling along and then I suddenly realise I'm not in the dressing room every day and I'm not going to play football and not a day I don't really know the biggest thing for me is is being prepared so I always tell boys now, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and I say, I know you think I'm an old guy, and just try to pass on, but even at our club now, our um, apprentices, the first and second year pros, go to college to do a modern apprenticeship, every Thursday. Now, we're not saying to them, you're not going to make football, but if you don't, this is maybe a wee plan B, that if you get this, and then maybe something in football doesn't happen, then you could maybe... I think it gets them into uni type thing, first uh-huh. year uni with us. Um, and I'm involved in it and first thing it's good to see them like interacting and thinking, I didn't have anything like this. I didn't have, I had, we done a thing at YTS, it was a city and girls and sports and you went along, ticked a few boxes and you got a wee certificate. <laughs> didn't mean anything, it was just ticked boxes. But now I think with all the mental health awareness stuff, I think, there's more opportunities for boys. Back then, I went, me and Big John, Craig McPherson, we lost Mass and we go and play pool and snooker and go for our lunch. And after training, that's what we done. I think now it, there's more options for players. And I think they are seeing the benefit. Of the, uh, hearing stories possibly for ex players and retired players and thinking, right, what can I do? So I maybe don't get to that stage. And I think now it's. I think the likes of people Andy coming out and speaking about Big Boy, he's got his charity yep. and I think it raises all the awareness and the the boys that are playing there are maybe for listening to this and thinking, right, how can I prevent me to get there? And I think it's it's great that there's enough. We um Greg Kilty, Kilmarnock, he's just um going to Kilmarnock College now today, I think it's a maths hire or something or whatever he needs to do so that he's kinda prepared for and Greg's, Greg's not that old, obviously played at bottom. Yep. Um, but he's obviously thinking along, which is great. 
last question before we come to around a quick fire. Career obviously spanning plenty of incredible managers, obviously time at Walton, time down south with Forest, back up at Malton, Kilmarnock, Cup Finals. How do you reflect back in your whole career when you look at it now? I think I was just um, very fortunate to be a football. I just enjoyed every minute. You don't, you don't enjoy the injuries and getting beat, but go to take it roughly smooth. But when you look back, I mean, I, I speak to guys that say they would gain their right arm to get five minutes in a pitch. And I was fortunate enough to do it on a regular basis, so I'm delighted. In terms of the quick-fire questions, first one, best players you played with? Ian Durant. Ian Durant was uh, exceptional. I came to Kilmarnock as a, somebody that was finished, apparently, but for me, brilliant. Best players you played against? I got slagged because I always drop in the Dorkaev one, but I played against Dorkaev in Europe the year after he won the World Cup, so <laughs> I think he's worth a mention. Who would you say is the most underrated player you played with? Because there's obviously one at every club. I've actually got my, my team, Craig McPherson, for me. Um, with a, a great left foot in him. I think he was just so underrated and just went about his job quietly and effectively. Most inspirational captain? Probably Gerrani. Because um, Gerrani was good. We played in the midfield together and sometimes we'd play as a three and they would he would say to me to go in the middle, take a shot, and he would get wide and just... He might have cut in two of his comments, but he was very encouraging at the same time. Um, he was always on your, on your side. Who was the best manager? And this is a kind of double-winded question. Who was the best manager at getting the best out of the every boy in the dressing room? And obviously, who was the best manager for you personally? I think Alan McGraw, for me, covers the both of them. I think he was a man-manager that was just exceptional. Um, and, every, and everybody wanted to play for him as well, which tells you all you need to know. Following your experience again down south in Open Forest, if a young boy came to you, you mentioned obviously earlier on, young Smith who's gone down to, to Man City, would you encourage boys to go down south and at least back themselves to give it a go? Or would you maybe say, look, stay and get as many first-team games as you can and then go? 100% I would encourage them to go because you never know what's in the corner you don't know if you knock something back will it ever come back again you ever get the chance no, I think you have to have just go no regrets just go for it The last question of these quickfire is if you could play for any current manager in the game now obviously it's dominated by your Mourinho's, Klopp's, Guardiola's etc which one would you choose to play for at the moment and why? I think Klopp Actually, he mentioned him. I think he just looks as if he just enjoys himself and has a great time and encourages his players to just go and play and uh, have a kind of freedom about them. You see the, when one wing-back's crossing it and another one's scoring, that's a bit of freedom I like. Right, thank you very much, Alan. Welcome. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep-sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will